0: Hello and welcome to this week's StatsBomb podcast with me, James York, and Ted Knudsen. How goes it, Ted? I'm all right. You're on the road. I am. I'm in. I'm in some poxy hotel room. Actually, no, it's all right. It's fine. It's really big. <laughs> it's really spacious. If it's an echo. That's that's why. But uh, yeah, we've uh, we've been busy this week. Uh, we ran the first StatsBomb course yesterday, which did went all right, didn't it, Ted? Uh, the feedback was very good.
1: Yeah. So that's that's pleasing. I think everything went. Had a good time,, or everyone. James did a great job, everyone. It was mostly James. I just like dubbed in for a little bit. However, it's gonna change a bit when we when we take our American tour. Um, we just announced the New York course, which uh, June first and second will do an introductory course. And uh also the set pieces coaching and design and analysis course, which is unlike anything else out there. So people in the US, if you are at all interested in seeing us in person for an extended period of time, uh I believe the New York courses will be myself and data scientist Derek Yams. So we're switching it up a little bit. Uh we're also still trying to book Chicago and Los Angeles. James is likely to take a trip to LA. Ooh. Exciting. Uh, see the stars and James. Um and so yeah, like that's that's what we're on about. Um, reviews are very good. Uh, people thought that the course was done quite well, which is nice to hear because it was a lot of work. And the set piece stuff is interesting. We'll talk a little bit about that as we get on into today's episode. What's today? What's today's theme,
0: James? It's Q and A from the reader power, reader listener power Q and A because um, it's the international break so. It's that weird hinterland of kind of non-football until you get a couple of international matches that people pay sporadic interest to. So
1: we've got some questions that we're going to go through. Um, This one snuck up on me. I didn't realise it was an international break. And then suddenly it was like Monday. I was like... There's a weird lack of football or even buzz going on. What's happening here? (laughs) I know what you mean. I felt the same on Monday. It was like, I'll just check
0: the schedule. Is there anything on tonight? It was like, hmm, this seems to be Argentinian football. That's not normally the most prominent game of of a Monday. And then you (laughs) click on Tuesday and you're like, there is nothing. (laughs) Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah, it's not not quite as fun as other weeks. But, you know, this is the way it works. Right, so uh, what's this first question? What the hell's this? Would you like to last read week Would you
1: like to- oh, I'll do it I'll do it I'll- <laughs> last week it was very fun to hear James' reaction to the Champions League draw I also enjoyed that <laughs> but now that both of you are firmly in the business I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's a euphemism or not but we'll, we'll treat it on the surface as it's not uh, does your work make you more protective of those that run clubs because the job is so difficult or are you still happy to call out dumb decisions
0: hmm I think I've still I've still got a writer's head uh, a lot of the time, and I'm, I'm
1: less less involved in the direct club work than you uh,
0: you are at times. Is that like a
1: Hemingway reference? Like you're an, you're an alcoholic and you start <laughs> at nine a.m., so you've got a writer's head. <laughs> yeah, you should be. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I
0: I I still kind of enjoy pointing out dumb things at times, but you know you you have a certain sensitivity that grows over time, certainly.
1: You do anyway. Um, (laughs) I haven't got any takes, so there you go. I think think for me, uh, what's changed is just being cognizant that we're a business and we have to be a little careful uh, about irritating people in the future. Uh, It doesn't stop us from talking about oddities or things that don't really make sense or occasionally just saying something quite dumb. but it also means that, I mean, the job is hard, but also the job is not nearly as hard as most people seem to be making it. <laughs> and and that's kind of the disconnect where, like, you know, we've done this before. We have genuine experience having, um, you know, built up a couple of teams and worked inside of clubs. And then... <clears throat> Back when I came out of Brentford and Mitchell and I looked around and was trying to find my next job and just the world didn't seem ready for it. I mean, maybe in twenty nineteen it kind of is. We've seen a number of postings for head of analytics, but like again, my my way of going about this and, and how to run it is probably very different from a team that exists and doesn't want to make radical changes. And I think that's that's often what we're finding. Like we get approached either by the really smart clubs teams entities that that know that this is useful for them and our data is useful for them because we've got a lot of things that other people don't um or we get approached by people who are in a bit of a crisis and and those two things are are like the usual uh but we are seeing like just a lot more teams interested in data and analytics uh led development and i guess a a big positive um yeah, the, the flip side of that is you still have to be quite careful about <laughs> what you say and lighting people on fire. But I, I think, you know, it's also very different to be like a business owner and someone who, you know, for, for good or, well, for true or false, I guess, is recognized at least somewhat as a, a, an innovator in the space. Um, so like the things that I would say as an, an outsider person that <laughs> didn't have any sway would probably be quite different than what I would say now. So uh, that's kind of it. Um but there are lots of dumb decisions to still call out. But the, the sport is getting smarter, I think, is the, the end point there, slowly but surely.
0: Yeah, I was speaking to someone very recently, and um, they were saying that the pace of change within football clubs can be incredibly slow, and it can take a lot of um, persuade persuading to make you know quite straightforward changes. And I... I having seen inside football clubs people love their clubs they absolutely there's so much passion involved in uh, in the people that just run clubs and do all the kind of admin and day-to-day work and i, I just feel like there's are just you know e- efficiency gains all over the place in these organizations that could be implemented just by um just by empowering the people that, that care and want the best for their club and um just just getting through getting through to them that you know you, you can make changes things don't always have to be done the way they've always had to be done and that's true of all organisations there you know there are plenty of organisations that don't I used to work for the council many many years ago now <laughs> many many years ago there's there's an organisation that's got the turning circle of the Titanic honestly it's just you know the things were done the way they have always were because that's the way they always were and, you know you can, you can you can always do better if that's the
1: case. Ironically, I just read the second question, and I'm going to probably contradict myself immediately. So this <laughs> <will be fun. laughs> Go on. Then. Yeah, that's, this is fine. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. It seems that more and more teams are hiring set-piece coaches. Which ones are you impressed by, and which ones do you think need more work? <laughs> um, so... I, I question the validity of the statement that more and more teams are hiring set piece coaches. To my knowledge, it isn't more and more teams. It's actually very few, and this is one of just this low hanging fruit that is not <laughs> is not getting picked up ever. Um, even to the point that like we're offering a very cheap course uh, in terms of the value and I'm I'm sure that we bring a lot of value to the table when we do things ourselves but now yeah I'm I was asked why are you doing this you know if you've got this like proprietary information of like how to coach or something like almost nobody gives that away like we're not giving it away we're, we're charging for a you know a day-long course that gives you a lot of like really good material but I just feel like you know it's, it's time to change football you know and and <laughs> the weird part about football is they're not picking up on this so I feel I felt, I felt like you know we'd throw this out there and see what the response was. Um, um, it's it's been like the set piece course uptake has been slower than I expected. I thought that we'd get like a lot of professionals. Maybe it's the t- the timing of the course. It's on the the tenth and eleventh, the the London one, and that's kind of vacation time. But you know why wouldn't you spend a vacation day to go learn something that that might be super useful to you in your job? I don't know. Um, so I don't think that we're seeing a lot of set piece coach hires. Uh, certainly. We're also not seeing a lot of success. Uh, the Millwall one was interesting. Uh, Stuart Reed's uh, LinkedIn, so it's not private, uh, says that he's uh, the set piece analyst at Millwall. Uh, and his stuff um, seems to be doing quite well and trying to help them keep them out of relegation spots. Um, and our stuff is yeah, not the same, but I imagine in the same vein. Um, it's just such a weird thing. Like, <laughs> here's five or 10 extra goals. Eh, I don't know is it worth it should we even bother uh the coach might not like it are there's just like all sorts of excuses right no if if you go into the transfer market and you're like here's five or ten extra goals they're like fuck me here's 50 million you, <laughs> like just, you, you just feel like you should give it a go anyway even if you got like you know preconceptions
0: <laughs> that are, you're not sure about it then why why wouldn't you try these things you know to be be slightly experimental, especially from a kind
1: of like coaching standpoint. And I think three years ago I would have been angry about it, but now I just laugh because I think it's hilarious. <laughs> I just like, are just you calling ridiculous. out dumb choices, Ted? No, no, <laughs> I I find some things funny. <laughs> it's okay. Moving on. Go on, M. Uh, this is probably a redacted answer, which it's not because we're answering it. Um but is there anyone on Fulham or Huddersfield that you would strongly look at to get cheaply and improve a PL side? So a bit like the the Shakiri move out of Stoke when they got relegated. Yeah. Are there players that we think are good that you might want to swipe off of the the certain to be relegated teams? Well yeah, we 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 covered this a little while ago and I think I came up a with, little bit. I came up with Billing who I thought was like
0: you know, young enough and uh, interesting enough. He was, I think he was a, t- what, was, what was it about him? Mean, he was a tall guy that was, we came up really well in our pressure data, which was actually quite unusual for a central, tall central midfielder to be like really kind of active. Um, but uh, I don't, f- I do not feel like there's a raft of players in Huddersfield that, you know, the
1: Premier League, rest of the Premier League is going to come knocking for. Um, yeah. I think Mooney was a guy that we liked before he went to Huddersfield and Huddersfield has been a black hole of attacking, uh, over the last two seasons. So, it's actually quite difficult to tell, you know, whether the adaptation is problematic because of the player or whether it's problematic because of the style. My guess is it's a lot of the style. Uh but you you know, that's if you can get him cheap. Uh also they signed Carlin Grant who I thought was a great signing out of uh Charlton. He's already getting time and I think he's got 3 goals in about 300 minutes. But that was that would have been like the number one lower league signing as a forward that I would have had um, this coming season, and they they swiped him in January, which is very clever and well done to them. Uh, but you know they're going to keep him for next year because they're going to need him. Um, on Fulham, what do we got? What do you think? Well, it, I it, I think the interesting thing about Fulham is like how
0: how has this season affected players' reputations? Because someone like Sessignon obviously, is still eighteen years old. Like you would imagine that people will keep sniffing around him for a good while yet, but you know maybe his like likely prices is kind of capped, even though he's got a season worth of uh, of Premier League play in in his legs.
1: He's got like two goals, five assists in what seventeen hundred and some odd minutes. Uh, in a dysfunctional team, like I don't yeah. think that that's hurt him at all. Uh, the micro perception might be different because he's yeah. now on a "quote unquote" relegated team. But yeah, that's that's all,
0: all I am suggesting about that is is the fact that you know last season when he was flying in the championship, you know, every, the, the the entire perception was upwards, and prices probably follow that kind of trajectory. Aren't Spurs well, going to save him? There was there has been talk about it over time, but yeah, he's, he's he's still very young. It wouldn't quite fit the the current Spurs, uh, you know. if... if Everything you hear about Spurs is if they are going to sign players, that they want them to instantly improve the team. And I'm not saying Session John wouldn't, but you'd probably want... I'd, I'd imagine if he was 21 or 22, then maybe they'd want him
1: then. But um, someone else probably bought, bought him by then. So Well, exactly. Like That's the problem. Like, <laughs> yeah, very there a, there's a FOMO for this young player who's one of the best young English players um, as an attacker can also play as a fullback. Uh, but your fullbacks are fine, so... Uh, the people don't necessarily think
0: that. But it, it's very much the difference between, like, a, you know, 20, 26 to 28 year olds and, you know, replacing them with, you know, highly promising 18 year olds. But I think who, you know, who else
1: has, who else have they got there? they got Anguissa Well, Tamper- like? well yeah, I, I would see, like, if you can get a discount on an Anguissa and put him in a, a functional tactical team uh, type of guy that, you know, Adris Aguay or Gay or however you pronounce it, um, you know, not a dissimilar profile and you know if you can swap him out for someone uh who's half the price or whatever like that makes a lot of sense now you'd actually have to agree with that uh but i don't know what the issues have been either so like you actually you want to dig into that series now 27 um you know, probably fine in a in a better team but you also realize that he's not going to do a whole lot of defensive work so if you're not going to cover up behind him that's that's problematic. They have like a series of not good slash dysfunctional goalkeepers, which is a problem. Uh, Callum Chambers is coming back to Arsenal having learned absolutely nothing about him. <laughs> it's like, oh, this is a great loan. How good is Callum Chambers? I don't know.
0: <laughs> yeah, and someone like Mitrovic, you think he's got ten goals in thirty-one appearances now? So again, ten goals in in a bad team feels okay and he he's, he's remains the nuisance style player that he always has been
1: but I think Mitrovic and Vieto and Sassanian are all really good talents hmm.
0: it just it's just just pegging their level is is really tricky right now I don't know yeah. it's um you know Mitrovic was at Newcastle Newcastle weren't great you know he's been at Fulham Fulham weren't great <laughs> the chicken or the egg here with this with this guy as a kind of striking option Ryan Babel, two, like- two goals in nine nine starts two assists yeah. Yeah, <laughs> one for the future, bro.
1: Yeah, Mitrovic had a great first half of the year. He had a great last half of last year. Yeah, it also. How do you wait being in a bad team that's really given up? Right, like, these guys have definitely given up. They they know they're relegated. So like that's a that's a weird spot. Uh, and and one of the ways that you do it is you you know you knock the price down so like you know we'll we'll pay for this but we're not going to pay for much more and that's why you don't see like guys come out of of relegated clubs for like big fees for the most part unless maybe it's a Sassanian who you think is uh, you know an England starter for the future.
0: What about who was I going to look at? Kenny's an interesting one because he always came up well in when when you look at kind of like passing numbers is that kind of. Ticking over kind of midfield. He's Again, 28 he's now. It feels like
1: he's a, an eternal kid. But he's 28, mm. and like the injury issues are the things that you're a little worried about. But yeah, he's he's too good for the the championship. Is it? The, yeah. I mean, the, the, there's there's a
0: bunch of them. If they, if they keep as much of this squad together as they can, I mean, obviously you imagine they'll get rid of people like Sherlo. Well, he's loan anyway. Big. Yeah. Exactly. You know, but they're not going to get converted or anything. But um, yeah, so all the loanies will go. They might. They they could if they can if they can afford to go again next season which is is a big question to be honest um, they probably look quite good down in the championship again but obviously he's
1: going. Alf- Alfie Mawson's been relegated back-to-back seasons oh no back-to-back. oh no oh, I
0: can't remember the QPR guy that, that kept happening too <laughs> Leroy it? Fair yeah that was it <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: my god the relegator <laughs> But like Mossons only played a thousand minutes, so I, I don't yeah. like, think it, it's so hard to figure out what's going on from the outside. All right, let's move on. This Go is on. this is sad for everybody. Yeah. Um, as a big league team, do you evaluate? How do you evaluate players from smaller leagues? For example, Skov Olsen and Robert Skov from the Danish league. Now I don't know much about these players. Is Skov both
0: a forename
1: and a surname? It seems to be. I believe so. <laughs> could niche. also be. Could also be an uh, uh, expletive. I'm not sure. <laughs> maybe maybe a a cheers type thing (laughs) yeah this was this was news to me Uh, what's your thought on this then so everything and yeah there'll be certain people on twitter that would disagree with this but this is how i approach it because this is how i approach professional gambling and trading and all of the things that i used to do and was pretty good at before uh which is that like you're trying to price in the real value plus the risk around it so you know how, what do we think about the Danish league? What do we think about players that come from the Danish league? Have they been successful other places? Um, how well does the skill set translate? You know, can you do some very light with large error bar uh exchange rates? Um, uh, another company out there says that there's an exchange rate, and I'm like, it's all error bars, so like, let's not be <laughs> let's not overstate the case of like Danish players coming in, into particular other leagues and saying that this is what the truth is because it's not. Uh, but. Yeah. So like, what is the risk of failure and how much does that decrease what you would pay for a similar player from a similar sort of league? Um, and can you peg like how good the Danish league is? So, you know, how, when Danish teams go into Europe, how do they fare against teams that you kind of know and understand? It's a very difficult, complicated set of equations. Uh, there's a lot of qualitative element around it because you don't have enough information to build good models. And that's something that gets lost a lot of times, but I think there was a thing that Mike retweeted this week that, you know, basically um, (laughs) transfer market pricing is the same as like playing Magic the Gathering is the same as like professional sports betting. You never have enough information to make, you know, a certain or even a strong choice in a lot of cases. Um, So you have to do it on incomplete information. And uh, that is just how it works. And so how do you make all these decisions with estimates? Uh, Hoping that you're right. Uh, so yeah, that was um, uh, that is a very long-winded non-answer, but that's kind of the process. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, and that and that's that's what we go through, and we do a lot of research to to try and overcome that lack of information. But it doesn't mean that you know you get anywhere close to a certain decision.
0: I think I've, I've said stuff before, like if you, if you look at the, say the top three or top five, if you can evaluate the top three or top five players in any league. Then they're probably worth like looking at in closer detail, and you know trying to work out if they, if they've got the kind of skill set that can match match your team. Um, you might find they haven't, and you know they're not suitable at all for depending on what level you are. But if you were like say Championship or League One, you know depending on budgets and all these very various other factors, then you know players players that are starring in smaller
1: leagues might be a way that you could go. Yeah, you can kind of you can guess about league equivalencies and and have a decent idea on that. And then sometimes those guys break out and they're even better than that. And that's amazing, right? Um, But you you still want to be really careful. You don't want to assume that they're going to fit into one of the strongest leagues in the world unless you're paying like peanuts, I'm relative peanuts, like Premier League peanuts are like 10 million, right? (laughs) Uh, So if if you're paying like Premier League peanuts for something, then like it's a low risk transfer. If it fails, then it doesn't cost you that much. You sell them back out to the championship or something for like half of that. Um, All right, let's move on. And this is a kind of a paired set of questions here. Yep. Are there big inefficiencies in the market for coaches or directors? Paying fees for them seems to become more common, but is coaching talent comparatively underrated, undervalued when it comes to points added per season? And what if head coaches had release clauses in their contracts? What are realistic amounts other teams would pony up to secure Pep, Klopp, Pocatino? it would sure make e- economics of transfer windows more interesting 40 million for a young stud attacker or an elite coach <laughs> hmm i'm not sure i'm really not sure about um
0: the market for coaches specifically coaches feels like it's in an odd place at the moment especially the top tier it feels like it feels like the same old guys have had the same old jobs like many many times and i think there's an, an inherent kind of conservatism probably in most countries as soon as you get out of the top divisions or you know out of the kind of top clubs to really be experimental with coaches we've we've seen a a little bit more um, down the leagues in England I think this season I mean (laughs) I was talking about these guys yesterday but Bielsa at Leeds you couldn't have imagined him at Leeds once upon a time but he's gone in there Uh, Fark at uh, Norwich uh you know two two guys that have come in you know outside the kind of normal uh, home recruitment um band of you know english or british managers who've come in and brought in a brought in good ideas so Wagner
1: um hmm. the guy that they re- replaced Wagner with who also was out of uh the Dortmund youth ranks or whatever um so I, I think there's there's like two things going on here one like a a really good head coach is worth a lot. But like, the thing is, the the challenge here is these guys often have big contracts already, right? So like we found out the the cost to Manchester United for sacking Jose Mourinho was something like 25 million. Yeah. And if you think that he's got a 3-year contract on 25 million, that's 75 million. And you know, the the swap on that is you have to you know, say he's got 2 years left in his contract, you're paying like 50 million in order to get Jose Mourinho. Now, obviously people would not do that now, but say, say it's that way for Lucien five or something like that. Um, like you're looking at big fees. It's not, it's not small amounts. Now, some other cl- coaches, etc., are, you know, two, three, four million, 10 million, um, as releases. Those are, those are interesting, but I don't think that you're going to get elite coaches, uh, for that amount. And that becomes a big question. Like what is the impact? And when you get a coach, like you're, you're definitely buying a three-year plan and many times you're buying a five-year plan. Are you, are you willing to do that? Are you willing to, to you know, write off 40 million if that's what it costs you? Um, plus everything else that you have to return your, your squad in order to fit up with this guy. I think the impact is huge for the best coaches. And I also think the impact is huge for the worst coaches. Like the worst coaches, yeah. they, if you're, if you're way below average, like you get found out pretty quickly in most leagues these days. Um, it's almost yeah. like the nature of the beast kind of um, kind of affects things because things are going badly.
0: Sack your manager, right? That's you know that's a really kind of um, you know typical response. And then there's a kind of mad panic rush to to get a new manager as quickly as possible. And maybe it's maybe it's just my perception, but it feels like more and more more and more clubs are, are going with the well, we'll just get someone to tide us over to the end of the season, and then reevaluate in the summer. Now that's all well and good, as long as. All during this period of time, they're you know, conducting due diligence on their candidates and are looking for the right fit. Um, it's not always the case. I think clubs in clubs in general, you know, as, as a whole, could certainly, um, I don't know, at least at least at least maintain a database of like managers and you know potential fits and and so when you do sack your manager, inevitably, because that will happen at some point. You're not starting from scratch immediately and trying to, trying to scrabble around and see who's, who's, who's there. You've actually got really solid ideas of people that might fit into your organization.
1: Or who've, you know, or they could t- pay a company to do objective evaluation on coaches that might fit their style. That's a good idea, Ted. Hmm. wonder who does that. <laughs> oh, we do that. We do that. Yeah, yeah we do that. I think, I think the coaching talent market is one of the really problematic, unsolved ones inside of football. And I have long thoughts about this, but it's almost all proprietary and you have to pay us in order to find out. But um, <clears throat> I think that it causes huge issues for a lot of clubs and no one is close to to kind of smoothing this over and, and solving the supply chain issue.
0: Right, we should probably move on then. We've done that question. What do you expect wage growth for players to look like in the reasonably near future, given the massive but probably still underpaying in terms of value in... Uh,
1: baseball for Harper and Trout, will we see a similar shift in football? So this is another one where I'm going to challenge some of the assumptions that people make uh, in that when you look at Barcelona's wage budget right now, it is a lot, (laughs) like a lot, a lot. And somebody popped up and was like, oh yeah, Messi makes about 400,000 a week. I do not believe that to be the case, not from Barcelona. Like when you look at their revenue versus their share of Um, you know, how much they pay out in wages, like, Messi probably has a massive amount, possibly even, you know, $2 a week is is an outside guess. But, like, I haven't looked at it and locked in. I'm just saying, like, as a whole package, Messi has to be a significant portion of that. Obviously, other players will be a portion too. But, you know, Messi probably demands that he also is a significant portion. So just looking at Barcelona and also Real Madrid's um, wage budgets, and they combined they're somewhere around like just over a billion in in yearly revenue and their wage budgets are like between 60 and 80 percent of that uh you're looking at at significant numbers and so I don't think that that football at the very top levels is as underpaid uh you know Alexis Sanchez getting 400k a week or whatever it is is a lot (laughs) And, and probably a bad choice but um so I I don't think that there's space to see a similar shift in football I think that uh, we've seen huge pushes in order to get wages as a proportion of revenue down, at least at the Premier League and top league levels. Uh, the the sort of soft cap that they put in place on growth that is not accounted for in commercial growth, as opposed to the TV money, is is has, has done quite a bit. It's done it's done a job. Uh, also, you know, who knows how much of cities. Uh, wage budget is real versus uh, moved off of the books, uh, according to the Football League stuff and the, the things that UEFA and everybody else apparently has opened up investigations about in the last two weeks. Um, so yeah, my my guess is you know it was getting really awkward. And at the championship level, it's obscene what the wage budget looks like versus revenue because people are all taking gambles that they can get into that Premier League uh, money pocket. Um, so, yeah, I, I think the sport just operates differently and people don't, it, it doesn't have any transparency like the American sports do in terms of who makes what. And because of that, there are a lot of underestimations about the actual amount people are paid. Um, and then, then there's the, the huge worldwide sponsorship opportunities. American sponsorships are great, but, you know, being the face of Nike or, or Adidas who, who make like 10 million a year in profits alone is, uh, is pretty lucrative.
0: I think you meant billion there, didn't you? Million, million would be a little bit small fry for those guys. Oh, yes, 10,
1: ten billion. Sorry, that's what I thought. I, I thought that was what I said. <laughs> Nike shareholders are sitting there like, but... what? <laughs> it's
0: all gone wrong. <laughs> right. So I have a question for you. Go this on. one's for
1: you. In fact, the next two are definitely three. All of the questions are for wow. you actually. Um, who has fewer transfer options? Gareth Bale, Alexis Sanchez, or Mesut Ozil? Assuming this is the summer. Um. Sanchez presumably got none uh,
0: Israel' presumably got few um I'd say Sanchez I think someone will take a gamble on bail if, if the if they can make the uh, fees and uh, wages work it feels like, it feels like man United would wouldn't it but like if it isn't man United I guess I don't know there's not many of these big really big clubs that, that will actually like take on these players as they age, apart from Man United and Arsenal did, but I you'd feel like they probably wouldn't um sign someone from outside. Maybe they would. They signed Obama. I'm gonna say Sanchez because I just think he's just going to, he's just maroon, marooned on that contract at Man United. He's already at Man United whereas the chance to go to Man United remains for the other two players. That's okay,
1: now let's <laughs> turn that around and like Grace has been standing for uh, Grace Robertson on the stats bump side was standing for Alexis Sanchez most of the season. Um, so like assuming that Sanchez is pretty good when he gets to play uh, and we don't know what his shelf life is. I also assume that he makes 400k a week. How can Man United shift Sanchez? How much of his wage packet do they have to eat assuming that there's almost no transfer fee this is an interesting question, right? Come on. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think.
0: I, I just don't know. I can't think of destinations apart from, like, you know, Qatari league or, or whatever there is, you know, in the options in those regards. Even, even the Chinese league seems to have slowed up on their, you know, their, the very big
1: contracts that they were, they mm. were hand, handing out. So Ronaldo has maxed out Juve to the point that, like, they really, really don't want to take Higuain back. Uh, so, like, you can't go to Juve. Uh, so, like, yeah, the question is where he goes. And for, like, say, 100, 150... A week so you eat 250 a week which is a lot but you know it doesn't mean you're eating 400 a week um yeah maybe you can shift Sanchez out that deal is just a catastrophic albatross though I mean the Oza one is, is probably more so just uh, in terms of overall sizing although Mez has played recently he's been good so and we think that his skill set lasts probably a little longer yeah no I'd, I'd agree with that I mean it, but
0: it's a lot for a special teams guy <laughs> He's just bringing for your home match against Fulham so he can
1: look flair. I don't know. <laughs> so. Hey, I appreciated that. I would like to see him play more. Yeah. Uh, Gareth, Gareth Bale's a, a big question just because of the injury history, right? So so say you're going to get 20 games a year out of him, maybe 22 or something like that, at least in the league. So you're getting just around half. you got to be really careful about what that contract looks like.
0: I just think the, the thing that... I don't know. A little bit of thing about work work rate with Gareth Bale. It's like he's 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 transitioned into being a, a very much a forward in his time in Real Madrid, I think, um, and that just doesn't suit the style of um, the Premier League. You've, you know, you've got you, you've got to work like fuck if you want to play in a front forward line of a Premier League, really good Premier League type team.
1: Speaking of, that's a perfect segue.
0: Mm, it is actually is it- uh, Jose Perez.
1: Secretly, one of the better pressing forwards in the EPL. So All is Newcastle's Ayoze Perez secretly one of the best pressing forwards in the EPL?
0: Now, I quick look at numbers seems like he's quite active. He's uh, certainly um, more, more by our metrics, is he got up to yeah like twenty eight pressures? Twenty eight, twenty nine. That's yeah, that's high. That is definitely high. Um, anywhere above twenty five is
1: is definitely in the, in the kind of top tier of guys there. However, one note of caution is that Newcastle are the 19th highest possession team in the league. So they don't have much of the ball. Uh, they're not Cardiff who have less than 40% of the ball, but Newcastle don't have a ton of the ball. They're like you know 43% or so, um, which means that a lot of his pressure stats like are accumulated because the, the other team has the ball a lot uh we also know that like glenn murray who is also up there brighton are like 17th in possession in the league so um you know, this is the type of thing where defensive stats you need to adjust them somehow to make them relevant not just noise uh that said you know he does work hard and the, the question is is he good uh he's not young anymore right uh that's a good question
0: it's funny newcastle and brighton both show up as, as with guys that that are like above average um in, especially in defensive midfield of, of kind of like pressure events that you know both managers get those teams like working really hard in in midfield to kind of like shut
1: things down. He's twenty five. Yeah, so twenty five. He's he's kind of middle, uh, you know, peak age. Uh, decent dribbler, uh, but very little on the attacking side. So almost all of his output comes at the expense of being a decent attacker.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's, it's obviously he's not enough shots. His shot map's quite pretty. It's it's, it's mainly central and in the right place but uh just just six goals so yeah
1: well 1.5 shots per 90 there's um, your yeah. issue <laughs> 0.10 xg per 90 and and what 0.19 uh sorry expected assists or xg assisted uh is 0.10 and then 0.19 uh goal so yeah i mean it's he's fine but he's not above league average right now at peak age so you know, take that under advisement yeah and he's mixed up his time between kind of
0: playing on slightly right-sided and um up front. I mean, look at his, look at his like in my here. It's, it's like kind of looks like a right wing back. So that's, that tells you what what you need to know about Newcastle. They, you know, when they're out of possession, they really sink into that zone and you know work work hard to try and stop people getting through. And that's why they
1: Newcastle don't get hammered as regularly as maybe some of the other lesser teams. I think similar similar player search says that uh, the most similar player in the Premier League to him is Mike Goodman's favorite semi-conservative writer uh david brooks so uh, uh i would definitely much rather have david brooks but yeah you know, that's having a choice yeah you feel like there's a little more upside with him and he's you know if you've got four or four years or
0: more on him so, so yeah this one
1: this next question we've got is specifically directed to mr james york <laughs> question about the salah article james Is there any evidence that defenses are putting more effort into preventing Salah from getting to his favorite places our spaces and thereby opening up more space for Mane this season? So James did a very well regarded and excellent piece on Salah and how things have changed a bit for him this year and whether that means that he's falling off or, you know, coming back to earth or anything like that. Um, and so like, you know, maybe give a, a little background on the, on the piece, but then answer the question, uh, are they preventing Salah from getting into his favorite spaces and opening up more space for the very hot Sadio Mane? Yeah. I mean, the archive wrote was basically just looking
0: at his, his two, in two, looking at his shots in two ways, season to season. And then across this season as well, season to season, there's like the zones. Uh, if, if you imagine you're looking upwards at the, uh, the the goal um, to the left of the penalty spot um, uh, he scored nine goals there last season he I think he's got one this season and he's not taking many shots there at all and then there's this zone, if you imagine him kind of drifting in from the right cutting in and just getting inside uh, the box into a kind of like plus uh, uh, shooting location he's got a ton of goals there and again the shots have just dried up from there um, positionally he's moved a little bit this season he's played on the right and kind of more cent- centrally as well at times, so that could could be an impact. But it's just these zones that he's just not not getting in to shoot from. And I looked at where he's moving the ball when he gets the ball um, to create shots, and again he's 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 getting the ball in these like specific kind of like right-sided zones and not kind of pro- progressing directly towards the goal as as he did. I think it's perfectly reasonable to, to suggest that defenders are very conscious uh, to not let him get onto his left foot and finish chance or uh, you know get shots off from this kind of you know location that he was so profitable from last last season and to try and just turn him onto his right foot and send him door, down towards the byline. Um, people who watch more Liverpool than I do have probably got a better idea than, about that than I have um, but there was someone in my replies who actually suggested um, that in recent weeks one of the reasons why Salah's shot profile might have moved slightly towards the right side and not so central is an actual tactical shift in um it as fe- he felt like that uh, Salah had actually been asked to play wider and uh, Mane was kind of tucking in from his wing which was apparently the opposite of what they were doing beforehand Um if if that's purely a tactical change and Mane's picking up all the goals, then that really feels like it's um, a, quite a clever way of adapting to possible struggles that Salah has had this season and getting the best out of Mane. I think the overriding uh, emphasis that I would make on the whole of Liverpool's front three is as long as they're producing as a unit, I don't, really don't give a shit who's creating goals or scoring goals. <laughs> and if the defence is... The defense is um, you know desperately trying to shut down Salah and it's opening up space for Mane elsewhere then that's absolutely fine i think we often we often look at players in in isolation uh, it's almost almost a natural tendency to you know look at figures and numbers and and whatever it is but if you consider an attacking unit then as long as it's functioning which it genuinely is that liverpool are scoring at a similar rate as they were last season um then i'd not worry too much about it and you can Tweak within that, you know. Eventually, eventually, teams will be like, "Wait a minute, that other guy keeps scoring these goals. We better go and check him out." <laughs> and um, and Salah will probably go on a burst and get a bit of space and whatever it
1: is. Well, this is this is why it's really valuable to have uh, attackers that. Can create as well as just score, uh, and and so they they have the vision and the ability to make passes inside the box, a dynamic situation. Salah had done that quite well previously too, uh, so he, yeah, he, he has that skill set. Sadio Mane also has that skill set. Uh, Firmino used to be more of a, a sort of pressing ten, and obviously he sets up a lot of goals. Um, so it's yeah, I mean, I think Liverpool's recruitment in that respect has been quite clever. They have a lot of guys that that can go can do both parts of the. Um, the job. Uh, let's see. How much would you pay for Pochettino when you already have Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? Now, this is very much a James question, isn't it?
0: Why is this? This question is on my list. You've just <laughs> grabbed that from nowhere. You Ted. <laughs> How it's,
1: re- it, it's related to this next question. It's before. not on my <laughs> list at all.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't pay for him. He's priceless. There you are. Like that answer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's so grumpy. You were so you were so happy when when Real Madrid signed Zidane, uh, yes. so that like one of the competitors for Pacatino was
0: gone. Yeah, it'd be good to get good, good to get that Solskjaer contract uh, minted shortly. Although as soon as soon as, as, soon as everything went well, i.e. the PSG game, everything has not gone well, and yeah, you. <laughs> There's that small thought that you think, like that was the time to get that contract signed, please, and it hasn't. It hasn't been, and it's still kind of floating around unannounced, and one wonders well, what will happen.
1: What if Spurs never sign another good player? Well,
0: there was. I, I I tweeted it out the other day. It came out of like the supporters' meeting. Um, Daniel Levy was actually talking about like Spurs' strategy with regards to transfers, and he, he very much he says the same thing every every time he gets spoken to. And Pochettino is very much on message as well. And a couple of things that come out of that are uh, space for foreign um, imports. So apparently, the, the squad is quite full, and you know needs more English players, or if like Ryan Sessegnon, maybe, or to swap out, um, you know. Non English, non British players for uh, you know further non British players. Um, the other thing is the idea that they they keep saying they they w- only want to like improve the team. So if they can't find a b- player better than they've already got, then they don't want to buy them. I think you can find players are better than all you've already got in some positions. So
1: this this is the Ashley Wenger can yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's gone a bit like
0: that. And uh, and then the other one, which I think is. Is as relevant as anything is if if sales are made, then there will be more money for further purchases. And of course, last summer there weren't any sales made. Now, you can read between the lines if you want, I Uh, I guess, but there's definitely TV money that came out, and you
1: saved a year of not buying anybody, sure,
0: absolutely. But this is this is we keep hearing the same, like you know, checklist of this is what's going on. And I very much think if someone Hopefully not Christian Eriksen, but if someone gets sold for like 50 60 70 million at some point it probably is that Christian Eriksen is probably the 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 one player that you'd be like hmm yeah he could go to this summer then they will buy replacements I've almost I've no doubt whatsoever that the the, the kind of flat next net spend is is you know long enough in, into Tottenham's um Tottenham's transfer uh, kind of style now that it pretty much feels like that. that's how it works.
1: You're going to get a nice fat Champions League
0: check as well. Yeah, that, that, and that was another thing he said, actually. It was that, you know, continued participation in the Champions League is, is of a benefit towards that thing. You know, the stadium is really expensive. They keep They keep saying that it's not affecting the transfer budget, but at the same time, you, you can't. You, you can't nev- Never believe anything front offices say. <laughs> you, you can't. You can't imagine that it's not in mind. You know, <laughs> I'm, I'm right? Like, I want a fifty million pound player. Well, six hundred million on the hook for this damn stadium. You know, it's, these things don't exist in isolation. However much you want to think they are, I mean. But so that's where we are. So, so basically, Pochettino loves the club. Stay wants to stay with the club. Wants to get. to the say, he will get to the stadium. I was kind of hoping it would roll over to next season because. Um, I think he will definitely carry the club to the new stadium, but that's now going to be in about two weeks. So, <laughs> so that checklist is is completed. Um, got you to the stadium.
1: See you later. No, hopefully Bucket not. list checked off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. See you later. Yeah, so there you go. One more question. On. How do Manchester United bridge the gap to City and Liverpool?
0: They hire Maurizio Pocket. To- no, not that. <laughs> they could do that. That's, I mean they've had months to think about like their next managerial hire and you know they very much should hopefully uh, perform due diligence to try and find a philosophy that will last over multiple seasons because that's how they bridge the gap to City and Liverpool the reason City and Liverpool are as good as they are is because they have committed to a system and an idea and a coach and they've spent two or three years um like sticking with that and they are now as good as they are. Right? Sure, I'm the,
1: the vision to execute it in the first place, right? Like, uh, to find the right coach and then to support them and to support. The, so like the other thing, it's not just a, a head coach slash manager. I mean, like manager is really an outdated rule. It's an English one, but like you're not going to replicate... Sir Alex Ferguson, really, in, in this day and age, like there's just no time and everybody else is so much more competitive. Um, so, like, you know, if you if you're that guy and you want to have oversight over every single player that comes into your club, like you cannot recruit from the worldwide pool that the Premier League can recruit from nowadays. Uh, so, I mean, just get smarter. And they've had an open position for. Well, I mean, we won't say open position, but you know, it looks like Manchester United and Arsenal are possibly trying to hire a sporting director slash director of football. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that those go quickly. And in fact, I think being cautious on those hires and finding the right fit is very important. Uh, don't screw that one up because then the guy that's you know making most of the decisions now has, has even more power. So like you know be careful about that. But I, I really do think that it's time for United to get smart. And it's probably time for, for Chelsea to get smart too. Um, because if they don't, they will get left behind by, by the smarter clubs. And potentially... You know if one or two of the, the sort of trailing pack decides to, to get smart and execute well and not make mistakes, like Liverpool have really done over the last three, four years, like they could push themselves up there too. It used to be a top four, it's now very much a top six, and it doesn't have to stay that way either.
0: No, and that's the thing, like, in the, at least in the short term, you would perceive um, six into four places for the Champions League every season. You'd Man City are one of them, no doubt. And Liverpool possibly with the, this season have you know moved themselves up into that niche where you'd say like, yeah, you'd be astounded if Liverpool didn't qualify for the Champions League next season again. Something would have to go horrifically wrong for them not to. So at least four clubs, four clubs that all with, with a reasonable expectation to be in that Champions League, those Champions League spots,
1: but aiming at two two spaces. And that, that equation
0: isn't going to change anytime soon. so
1: well and, and United can't just outspend because if they screw up their spending, then they end up with albatrosses like the Alexis Sanchez contract. So like you've got to be actually functionally very efficient in the money because people are going to try and overcharge you and agents are going to get whatever cut they think they can get. It's not just about buying the right players. It is now about executing and efficiently applying them to the pitch in ways and styles of football that gets you an edge. And Liverpool have very much taken all this stuff on board, and and that's why they're there. And Manchester City have hired the best coach in the world who had a very efficient, effective style already and then supplied him with a great deal of money in order to, to sign the players that he needed to execute that style, which they didn't have enough of in year one. Um, you know... United are trailing that by a lot. Arsenal are trailing that by a lot. Spurs don't have the money and are kind of like in the spot where they are because they have a great coach. Um, but, you know, if Spurs were to stumble, if Pocatino leaves and they don't fix their their incoming transfers and make them better and more efficient, then, you know, they might tumble back down to the, the sixth. And Chelsea seemed like every other year they compete for the title, but who knows where they go now? Like the, the, the ban and the weirdness with the squad and sorry and all of that, like it's very odd and complicated so like there's some real threats for for some of these traditional giants that they could get eclipsed or fall out of that even top 6 pack and certainly that top 4 pack yeah there we go so Man United
0: a lot a lot to do and uh, really need to commit to an idea I think to uh, stand any chance of getting up to Liverpool and certainly Man City's level Right, Ted, right. So unless before you've got, we go, are you right? have you got any more hidden questions for me?
1: No, I don't have hidden questions, but I do <laughs> want to tell you really good job yesterday on the course. James did a ton of work on the introductory course and led it almost exclusively by himself. And the the feedback and the reviews were great. They they really liked a lot of the the choices that we made in it. Um, yeah, it's very approachable for anybody. We have two course listings that are up both in london and new york city now um new york city is the first and second of june london is the 10th and the 11th um and so we will be doing those please sign up for those if you're at all interested anybody can sign up it's not just for people who are working in professional football but the concept behind it is that we can teach coaches the important bits about attacking about defending that we know from the data uh, set pieces in there uh, opposition analysis it's all it's all lumped in and then the big set pieces course is a full day on how do we analyze and design effective set pieces from the ground up uh, beyond that yeah, thanks for listening, everybody. We've had some great stuff on the StatsBomb website. Keep supporting us. And if you like our work, tell people about it because we're always looking for more more followers and uh, more people to talk to. Okay. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you. Bye.